We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, Hornets fans. This is Richie. As we get started here, I just wanted to remind you guys that if you are a BuzzBeat Plus subscriber, make sure you go back and listen to an exclusive episode that we posted on that private feed where I had a chance to recap the game against the Hawks, that comeback win, down as much as 19 points. On today's episode, you're going to hear from Spencer and myself as we discuss three different questions submitted to us from listeners, one regarding Terry Rozier and if this team can be successful for the remainder of his extension, another one dealing with the draft, and lastly, one dealing with the trade deadline, and if there's a possibility that Mitch Kupchak could potentially be inactive and sit this one out. So give this a listen. It's also on our YouTube channel as well. We went live on Saturday morning. If you never caught that, that's also over there for your viewing pleasure. So let's go ahead and get into the episode. What's going on, Hornets fans? This is Richie. Hope you guys are having a good one. Welcome to another BuzzBeat. We are live here on Twitter Spaces and YouTube. I will be joined by Spencer here. Please interact with us. If you have questions, put them in the comment section, or if you're on Twitter spaces, you can chime in and request to speak. Spencer, how's it going? I heard you just got back from uh, Newport, Rhode Island. Yeah, I did. Um, it's going well. So I got my master's degree uh, a few months ago, and that was my wife's present to me as a we like going to the Northeast in the winter. Uh, I know it sounds like a, a weird place to go in January, but we like going up there because, yeah, yes, are some things closed, of course, but, you know, everything's more accessible. You still get the great seafood. Uh, you know, we went and saw the breakers and the mansions um, in the Newport area. If people are not familiar with that in the South, I'm not surprised, but it is a, it is a really cool experience to go up there and, and see the mansions. And Richie, it sounds like you've, you responded. You're like, "Oh yeah, my brother's getting married up there." I was like, "Wait, where's Richie hiding this treasure chest?" <laughs> yeah, it, like when you when you first initially said that, like I was like, "Where? Why does this sound familiar?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, my brother in August is going to get married there." So I've I've never been, but I've seen your pictures and I've seen pictures on the website for the venue that he's getting married at. So it definitely looks like a a very lovely place, and uh, sometimes it feels a little bit too ritzy for my uh, my taste. 
It, yeah. I mean, in the sun, it, it's one of those places, like all in Northeast, I guess, really. Like the summertime is just, just, you know, like flip the world upside down, different, right? Than it is in the winter. I mean, the Cape, uh, Martha's Vineyard, uh, Block Island, um, Newport, where we were. Uh, I mean, they're all, they're all just a totally different place in the summer. But it was cool. Like it really wasn't that cold either. I think we, it got down to like mid twenties, you know, overnight, but during the day it was like right freezing. We saw a few flakes, but mostly just, you know, rain sprinkles. So it was, it was fun, man. I love seafood too. I love oysters, love, love all that stuff. So that's the place to go for that. Very good. So yeah, I'm definitely excited to go uh, in about eight, nine months from now uh, and check that out. So as we get into this, we encourage you guys to check out BuzzBeat Plus by visiting buzzbeat.substack.com for early access, ad-free episodes, and exclusive content. So what we're going to do today is get to some listener questions. And the first one is from Ben. And his question, it has a comment as well, but the question says, can this team be competitive with Terry Rozier as the starting shooting guard for the next three seasons. He goes on to say, I think it's time to give Bryce McGowan some more experience and make a decision on book night. So to answer this question, I would say potentially they could be competitive with him as the starting shooting guard, but I don't necessarily think it's going to be like next season. You know, if it's towards his second year or third year, you know, as he is rounding out his extension here, maybe. But I do think for this team to be competent and competitive, they do need to do some maneuvering with their roster. Like, you know, this offseason or currently speaking in the season, midseason trades, for that to happen, you already have Hayward taking up $30 million. You have Rozier who's taking up, what, $24, $25 million a year. So it doesn't give them a lot of wiggle room. But... If you were to trade Rozier, uh, it does give you a little bit more wiggle room. And maybe in the offseason, you feel a little bit more comfortable bringing back Jalen McDaniels and P.J. Washington, if that were the case. You'd also maybe feel a little bit more comfortable with the backcourt in terms of players that could complement LaMelo on both ends of the court. And it, it just sucks the way that Rozier's season has played out because... I think when you take a step back and evaluate Rozier's time here in Charlotte up to this point, like you can't help but love his movement shooting. You can't help but love the fact that he has gravity all over the court. And he has had, you know, little shades of improvement throughout the course of his time here with the Hornets, you know, as a mid-range scorer, as an off-ball defender. But one thing that we've noted, Spencer, on this pod is how well does he actually pair with LaMelo and more so on the defensive end versus the offensive end because neither one of these players, LaMelo or Rozier, has proven to me that they could be uh, a point of attack defender, someone that's going to guard that primary ball handler. I think Rozier by default has been that guy, but necessarily like the results necessarily haven't been that great. So when you construct a team and you want this team to be competitive, as Ben is talking about, it's really hard to do with the constraints of not only the salaries, but how those two pair on the defensive side of the court. So, you know, I think handling the ball and making decisions would be a useful quality to have when you pair them next to LaMelo. And that could push LaMelo off ball at times too. So I'm just not sure Rozier is that type of, 
decision maker. So Spencer, what are your thoughts on this in terms of the Hornets being competitive with Rozier still on the roster and probably just as importantly, still on the books? Yeah, well, it's a great question. And it's something I've been thinking about a lot, you know, as the trade deadline approaches, you know, I would lead with this. If, if the Hornets were able to get off of Terry Rozier before the trade deadline or this summer, they effectively have zero long-term salary, all uh-huh. rookie scale contracts when LaMelo's extension comes up. Like that's it. I mean, of course, like they're going to sign some free agents this summer and what happens with Jalen McDaniels, what happens with PJ Washington. But like as the books sit today, if they were able to get off Rozier, there is nothing else when LaMelo's extension comes up other than rookie scale contracts, um, which is, which is, I mean, the flexibility is, is endless, obviously. You know, I, I think Rozier, um, the first thought that comes to my mind is like, let's, let's just play a the- theoretical game and say the Hornets are able to draft second. Get Scoot Henderson. Uh-huh. I have no problem. Like, Rozier, is he overpaid? Yeah. Can he come off the bench, if he's willing to accept this role, come off the bench and be a very viable contributor in the NBA in that six-man role? And does he have enough playmaking chops? We know he has scoring. We know he can shoot um, from a lot of different areas of the floor. We know he's good off the dribble. We know he's good off the catch. Um, But I have no problem with the Hornets keeping Rozier on contract throughout the life of his contract, you know, if not into the last year, and then you, you know, sell him for whatever's left and him coming off the bench. Like that, that to me is the ideal role for Terry Rozier moving forward with Charlotte. Now that's wish casting a lot of things to happen that are, that are likely not to happen. You know, as the roster is constructed him next to LaMelo. No, I don't think that's a winning recipe. Um, you know, he's an undersized two guard, which is okay, you know, with six, seven LaMelo ball, if LaMelo ball was a, you know, a choppy defender, right? Like was, was actually able to switch and, and move for a zero over to the, uh, easier assignment from night to night. But, you know, LaMelo ball's not there defensively. He's getting better. We've seen some, we've seen some flashes, but those two together are just not a winning formula. So, you know, it could go in a lot of directions with Rozier. I would be surprised if he was traded at the deadline. I think that there are some teams out there that would love his utility, but would um, it would not be able to bite down hard enough to take on the three years. You know, contenders just don't typically have a lot of uh, financial flexibility to take on that kind of money over the long term. So that's really the stopgap with moving Rozier now or even in the offseason. Um, but I do think if the Hornets, if they get the right break in the lottery and are, are able to draft the right player, I think this is a guy you can keep on your books if you're Charlotte and use him in different ways that then we see him right now, right, in the starting two-guard role. So is the number big? Yes, but yeah. Charlotte has so much financial flexibility moving forward that I, I – they can they can deal with it and still scratch out some some utility and some use out of Terry Rozier moving moving forward, depending on what happens in the draft lottery, who they draft, yeah. all that stuff. So it, it would feel weird though to have Rozier and potentially Hayward both be coming off the bench and they're both making what, fifty million combined? Like that would be kind of odd yeah. to me. Yeah, it, I, I mean, yes, of course. That's like you know, it's a, it's a Picasso of a failed experiment, right? But but at the same time, 
Lamella's extension still a year away. Um, everything else you have on the roster again is going to be rookie scale contracts. We'll see what happens in free agency. But yes, like if they're not able to move one of those two guys, you can kind of paint the picture of what they're going to do this summer. They're going to draft high, or they're going to have two first round draft picks, but that's not going to eat up a, a large percentage of the cap. And then they're probably going to spend, you know, fifteen million below on free agents to manage the cap until they can move one of those guys or Hayward falls off after next year. But, right. but yeah, like I, I think it's still possible with Rozier specifically. Hayward's a totally different deal, but I think it is still possible. We're having this conversation two years from now, and we're saying, "Wow, Terry Rozier coming off the bench for Charlotte is such a plus," at age. 30 or whatever that would be for him, 29. Um, I think that's in the cards. Would, would I say it's likely? No, but I think it's definitely possible. Like this is a, he's not getting paid $35 million in two, two years, right? Like it's, it's not one of those kind of deals where it just really sucks up, you know, 30% of your cap. Um, right. So I know they'd love to sell him. Not sure they're going to be able to. At the same token, I think there's some utility left there, but. A lot, of, a lot of dominoes need to fall between now and then. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, he and Hayward are going to be, I would think, very difficult to trade. I do want to give Rozier a pass on this season, or at least maybe have some kind of built-in excuse with the way that he is playing. You know, I think he does benefit from a player like Miles Bridges who has that individual, like, rim pressure, getting to the rim, handling the ball, because we've seen too much of it this season where they put the ball in Rozier's hands, and it's just not gone the way that you would like it to. So just having players around Rozier that complement his play style, like you could have a little bit of a built-in pass for some of the issues that Rozier has had this season. Now, let's get to this like second comment that he had here about uh, McGowan's and Book Knight. And I totally agree with him in terms of, one, they do need to make a decision on Book, but it almost feels like they can't because the value is way too low to trade him. And then clearly he doesn't have 
the maturity or he doesn't have the NBA ready level to, to get out there on the court. They don't view him that way. So it's very hard to kind of showcase this guy. So it feels like they've made a decision on book uh, until he starts improving until he starts uh, putting it all together. You're just not really going to see him all that often. And to me, if he was in a trade, it would probably be more of like a sweetener and just like a filler more so than like being centered around book night, obviously. And in terms of McGowan's, I think clearly he is a notch above book night in terms of the pecking order, in terms of what he's doing out on the basketball court. You know, he still has, you know, room to grow. He's young, but he has shown flashes of just playing to his strengths, especially when you compare it to book 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 seems like he's out there trying to do too much at times. His confidence definitely isn't there, but McGowan's like, he makes quick decisions, pass, shoot, drive, filling the lanes, playing off ball. Like if he has an open shot, he takes it. So, you know, to this question, if you do free up space for McGowan's by trading Rozier, it does make some sense. But to your point, you know, Rozier can still be a useful veteran on this team in terms of the spacing. And yeah, I think McGowan's has plenty of room to improve. It's not one of those things where you have to play him right away. Uh, I think one of the biggest things that I've seen, um, not just recently, but just, you know, in the course of his short career here, he does need to improve on the defensive side of the court in terms of his strength. He gets pushed around by bigger guys, and we saw that against uh, Eric Gordon the other night in Houston. So do you have much hope for uh, for Book Night here and kind of what the the organization views him as and McGowan's? What are your thoughts on him? Yeah, not, I mean, not really with Book Night. Like, it's... Um... Yeah, I mean, the fact that he's just, you know, he's just a MIA right now. Like, it's, right. it's kind of, it's pretty fascinating, really, with where Charlotte's season is going and the fact that he can't get on the floor. I, yeah, it's pretty depressing, honestly. I, I don't know where it goes from here. I agree with you. Like, if, if he's in, I kind of get the hunch that Charlotte would like to just move him, but you're right. He's just going to be like a throw-in uh-huh. um, as part of a bigger trade, so... McGowan's, I I mean, he's bigger. He's got some on, you know, if you look back to his days in Nebraska, you know, he's got a lot of reps on the ball. Uh, his potential is way higher than Book Knights. Purely, if you just take away all the extra stuff going on with Book Knight, like he's just bigger. He has on ball potential, and we've seen his off ball catch and shoot potential in Charlotte already. So, like, I think Charlotte should definitely invest in McGowan's over book night um but yeah i i don't know if either one of these guys like really play into the two you know the the wing rotation starting wing rotation conversation moving forward i i understand the question because like this is what we're working with right now but um you know my ideal situation is charlotte does find a way to get off book night and keeps him you know keeps McGowan's on this roster, gets him into the rotation moving next year. We'll see what happens with who they bring in on the wing uh, to start, uh, or if th- that's just Rozier again. But, yeah, I, I don't really have much hope left for Buck Knight. Like this, and, and I should qualify, you know, because I think a lot of Hornets fans look at this situation and they're like, oh, Malik Monk 2.0. I don't really see it that way because Malik Monk had a very clear skill set that was just but- – kind of missing in action in Charlotte, right? He he couldn't the three ball wasn't falling. And now it is. I mean, you see him in Sacramento and he can do more than that, but he had a very clear skill that translated to the NBA. I'm not really sure 
Book Knight has that. I mean, I think like the idea of him is that he could be this above average to like scratching an elite like ISO score off the bench, but it, I, I I just don't see it. I, I just think the guy's a bust. And I think he's got everything else, and it, it, it seems like in his life, it's kind of working against him too. So, yeah, he, he, that label is probably coming around the corner soon for him. And before we get to the next question, Spencer, I, I know we're kind of harping on book a lot, but like if you were to choose one skill, like let's let's just say Book Knight is on the roster next season and seasons to come, like for him to get immediate play time, like if you had to point to one thing. You know, a quick fix, I guess you can call it. Like, what's that one skill that can get him out on the court a little bit more often? Probably defense. I mean, when, when you think about where this franchise is and who's making those decisions, I mean, Book's got a phenomenal wingspan, right? He's athletic. Like, there's no excuse for him to not be an at-par, an, an average defender at the two position. Like, th- there's really no excuse. I mean, I that's what I think could get him on the floor more often. And... The fact that this season is going the way it is and he's still not getting on the floor tells me one thing, that the coaching staff, primarily Steve Clifford, is just not satisfied with his work ethic away from games, you know? So this is, you know, again, there are some similarities in the book night situation. I think their immaturity probably comes into play a lot. And Clifford is not, you know, love it or hate it. It doesn't. That's not part of this conversation. He is not going to give in that category, right? Like he he demands something, and he wants to see something. He wants to, and I don't think Book Nice providing that. So I would say defense. Like the shot is the shot. It's going to fall eventually. We've we've seen that with Monk. We see that with a lot of young players. They have to learn where the healthy diet comes from when it comes to shooting and and seeing shots go down. Book Knight is no different than any other young player in this league, and that sense but if he's not going to um he's not going to care away from the game at practice if he's not going to give the effort if if he's not going to give defensive effort for a coach that demands it it's going to be really hard for him to get on court yeah that's i mean that's what i debated too in terms of uh you know what's that one skill that would get him out on the court quicker and defense because clifford is the coach makes a ton of sense but one thing that's always just stuck out with me is like the fact that he's just not a quick decision maker. Like he has the ball in his hands and he just wants to over dribble. He's prone to hesitating on shots. And I'm sure confidence has a lot to do with that. And he's pressing and he just doesn't know what decision to make. But, you know, that skill right there is kind of hard to simulate in practice in terms of, hey, you need to pass, kick, drive, shoot, you know, do all these different things in a quick manner. Yeah. Because when you get out in the game, sometimes it just kind of changes. And I think, you know, and, and last thing, we can move on to the next, but I think that is just the thing with Book Night. Like, a lot of players go through that stuff, right? Like, that's adjusting to the way you've played up to, you know, the, the game of basketball up to this point in your life and adjusting to the speed of the NBA. Like, that stuff's teachable. You know, reps will fix that kind of thing, typically, not always. But the effort thing, like, that's foundational, right? Like, right. you you, you got to bring that more than you don't. And something tells me he's he's not doing that right now. Exactly. All right, next question from Gary Alexander states, obviously the Hornets have been conservative regarding in-season trades in recent years. Do you guys believe there's a scenario where Mitch doesn't make any moves at the deadline? So Spencer, I'll let you lead off on this, but first thing I'll say, I mean, there's no secret that the Hornets need to be sellers 
they need to be actively looking for trades, I would think. But do you think there's a scenario where no trades go down? I mean, I would say the only way there's no trades that go down with Charlotte is if you assume that Kelly Oubre and Mason Plumlee just have not enough of the market, so they're two, so they're buyouts. Like to not sell one of those guys certainly trade rather one of those guys certainly if not both is like I mean that's like malpractice uh, and I don't think that like Mason Plumlee's been really good this year I think there's a lot of teams in the league that he could help as a second big Portland needs a big I think the Clippers would be a good fit for him I think that's been that scenario has been brought up on this pod before you know there's a lot of teams out there that could use his utility as passing uh, his effort, I, I think he's being really, really good. Uh, he's, but he's he's miscast as a starting center, right? Um, <clears throat> Kelly Oubre is more of an eye of the beholder. Um, you know, I think Miami's a really interesting fit for him. I think they need some help on the wing. Uh, we know he's a streaky shooter, but look, Kelly Oubre is like six seven, six eight, very athletic. Uh, Miami demands effort and defensive communication and these kind of things that. I think he could he could help with, but you know Charlotte has not been able to get that out of him, and and it didn't work out in Golden State either. So uh, I I just don't see how these guys don't have trade value, and I and I tweeted this actually this week. I think Charlotte needs to get out ahead of the market. You know, Ubre's hurt right now, so that's that right. makes it a little tricky. But it's pretty clear he's going to come back sooner rather than later. I would trade Plumlee like yesterday. Like I think they should get out ahead of the market, figure like they don't need to bid against anybody. Like who's interested? Do you have a second round pick? Boom, let's get it in. Like get it, get Mark Williams and um and Nick Richards more playing time now. We have twelve wins and it's mid January. Like come on, you need to sell Plumlee now. Yeah, I mean th- those those are the two. I mean th- those are the two that I would say to Plumlee and Ubre. Uh, in terms of being the targets, and even if it only gets you something small, um, because they are expiring contracts, because you know they don't really factor into the future. You know, even having a second round pick come back our way, if you don't feel like that's you know a great return for these guys, it doesn't really matter because they're not necessarily going to be on the roster next season. And you right. were talking about Rozier earlier, like that would be my personal ideal like player to trade just because of maybe the value that he has out there. And I do think he's valuable in terms of the on-court stuff, but I don't know how you could sell it to an opposing team other than just saying, hey, he's on our roster right now. We're not performing well. We've had all these issues go down in the offseason, and there's a reason why he's not performing the way that he is. If you are going to be a team that is contending for the playoffs, you know, maybe his splits improve with you guys. Like that, that would be the sell. But I think the years, the years left on his contract seem like that kind of negate his value to that point. So I do think it's tricky to trade Rozier. And then there's one, one player that you've mentioned it before, but PJ Washington, Mm -hmm. I'm not even sure what the future holds with him, with him being a restricted free agent. I think what would be awful is if the Hornets didn't entertain trades for PJ and then come the off season they either just go with the Jalen McDaniels route or they just don't put up much of an offer for PJ in this offseason. So he's an interesting one. I go back and forth on whether or not I think the Hornets need to make him a priority. It's it's just odd because he is a skilled player. He does fit well with LaMelo. He does fit well with a roster that has some interchangeable parts. 
Uh, but right now, because he's playing on a roster that's a bottom three team in the whole entire league, it's, it's hard to see that value because he's not surrounded with the talent talent that you need. Thoughts on on PJ Washington? Do you think the Hornets entertain anything? But it, it you know, again, his 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 future is kind of up in the air this offseason too. It's it's the most interesting decision before February the ninth that this franchise has to make. To be sure. Um, you know, it could go a lot of different ways. I, I think on one hand, the Hornets were thinking we're going to kind of call the bluff. Uh, not the bluff, but like we're just not willing to pay what he wanted in the offseason, which I don't have it right in front of me, but I'm guessing it was somewhere in the $20 million range. Like we're not going there. You know, the cap space landscape this summer is is more significant uh, than it has been in past years. And it only takes one team, only one, <laughs> right? Um to to give something above market value. And I do think that's coming for PJ. He's 6'8", he can shoot threes. He's versatile defensively, like enough said. He's going to have a, a robust market this summer. So I agree with you. I think the I think Charlotte should be trying to trade him at the dead at the deadline. Like that's just the place they are. He's a restricted free agent. He can go get an offer sheet, but the only way for Charlotte to get it back is to match that offer sheet. So they've almost pinned themselves into a corner where they're going to pay above market value not, because they uh-huh. did not, they could not come to terms with him last year. I would be trying to trade him. I like PJ as a player. I, I, I'm not interested in paying that guy $20 million a year. And so I don't really blame Charlotte from that perspective, but I, I, I would have hoped that they could have found a way to make it work uh, in negotiations. But yeah, I, I think there's a lot of teams that would love to have him at the deadline. I think Miami, again, I bring them up. I think they would be interested. Um, I think Sacramento could use him. Um, they're like scratching on third in the West right now. Like, why, I mean, that's that team could do anything, right? Like they can talk themselves into anything. I, I think he would be a great fit there. Obviously the Lakers, um, but it just, the fact that he's a restricted free agent waters down his value, right? Like, I, I think he is high demand at the at the trade deadline, but he's a rental in theory. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, you you know, and that that comes into play in negotiations. You From the outside, we assume if, if a team's trading for him, then they're going to resign it. But in the negotiations with Mitch Kupchak and other GM, that's not what the other GM's going to say. He's like, no, this is a, like, we want this guy to help us win this year. That's as far as we're looking. We're not looking any farther than that, whether that is the truth or not. So that complicates, it just muddies the water, right? So my guess would be the PJ Washington is not traded uh, before the deadline because of yeah, that reason. Um, and Charlotte just kind of holds their breath and prays that a big offer sheet doesn't come, but I think it's coming. Yeah, I'm more with you. I think, Definitely Lee wrote about it, and I know that Brian probably feels the same way, but I think both of them probably don't think that the Hornets should even entertain trades for Washington. And I feel like I've held back on this topic, but I I do kind of side with you a little bit more just because of the fact that an offer sheet could come this offseason and it puts the Hornets in a position to where they've got to make a decision. And when it's all said and done, not that Jalen McDaniels is the same type of player as P.J., but there are some similarities between the two. And if you're trying to kind of cut corners and save some money, I think Jalen McDaniels gives you more bang for your buck because I don't I don't think there's a world that both of those players come back. I just I can't imagine that that'd be the case. But 
Uh, to this question, like, is there is there a chance that they don't make a move? I, I would say there's a slim chance. Uh, I guess it could happen, and maybe with the team, with all their injuries and the revolving door, they could be bad enough anyway to kind of bottom out to that bottom three, bottom four, bottom five position of the NBA. So they should do everything in their power to make a move as a seller, and uh, we'll see where it goes from there. So last question here, Spencer, and I don't have much thoughts on this because Anyone that's listened to this podcast knows that I am the least tuned in to college basketball at air underscore Hicks. If the Hornets get a draft pick from three to seven range, who would be the best fit for them? So yeah, having a season like this where Wimbenyama or Scoot falls out of their hands and they're drafting three, four, five, six, somewhere around that range. Do you have a guy in mind, a guy or two that you've been Watch it a little bit. I know you're trying to pick up college basketball viewing coming up soon. So we, uh, we got to get into it. I know that's going to be a, a point of topic of discussion here. But any any thoughts on any players outside of Scoot and Victor? Yeah, I mean, this this draft is very, very wing heavy. It is wing rich and a lot of talented guys in that area. I mean, I think that obviously if the Hornets fell in that 3-7 to seven range, it would be super disappointing. Right. But I still think they come away with a really, really good prospect like um, if you're with us live today, you know, Brandon Miller, I know Bama plays today. I think they're at Missouri. He would be, I think, I, I, I mean, I love, I love what that guy does. He's 6'9", 200 pounds, plenty of room in his frame to put on weight. He's a lights out shooter, uh, on the ball. Still need to see a little bit more, but, um, the Thompson twins, I mean, both of them are about six, seven, one. I can't remember, like, this is where I need to dig in a little deeper on my, uh, draft prospect watching one of them's much better on the ball like a true point guard uh the other one's a better shooter uh i think amen is the one that's better on the ball uh and osser is the one that's a better shooter but either way i think both would be a great fit next to lamello um in theory Keate george at baylor i got to see him earlier this year when virginia played baylor out in vegas he's uh a little, little smaller, about six four, six five, I think. Um, but a really good defensive player, just a crafty wing that can score in a lot of different ways. A physical player, although a little undersized. I, I, I like George Cam Whitmore at Villanova. I haven't seen much of him, uh, but I know there's a lot of buzz. And then the last two names, I would say Grady Dick at Kansas. I'm sure everybody's <laughs> at least seen his face. Um, Kind of uh, an internet since a college basketball sensation, if you will, this year. 6'7, 200, can shoot the lights out. Great moving off the ball. Uh, better at the rim, better off the bounce than you would think. Um, so he's intriguing. Then Cason Wallace, I don't know if it's, I think it's Cason, is how you pronounce it. Cason Wallace at Kentucky. Uh, they're actually about to play at two o'clock in a must win game for them, I think, in terms of the tournament hopes. Uh, 6'4", 185, similar to Keontae Johnson, uh, or excuse me, Keontae George in, in terms of size, but plays way differently, like a springy, really, really tenacious defensive kind of kind of wing. So I know I just rattled off a lot of names, but like I think if it was worst-case scenario for Charlotte, they desperately need a wing player uh-huh. um, that can be a two-way utility kind of guy. And I hope I just laid out the case. Like, there's a lot of those guys in this draft in, in the top 10. So it would be bad if they didn't get a top two pick, but I still think they're coming away with a pretty dang good player. 
Yeah, I need to brush up on my college prospect, but I don't ever get to that until like March or April. So uh, don't count on me for that type of stuff. And uh, some of the names I've obviously recognized and the, and the ones that you've rattled off, maybe Brandon Miller is the one that's kind of been gaining momentum most recently. All right. We appreciate everyone joining on Twitter spaces. We appreciate everyone joining here on YouTube. We're going to wrap this up. If you appreciate our content, enjoy our content, be sure to leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to our podcast. For Spencer, I'm Richie. Take care. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.